Two scriptures for you today. If you want to turn to the Gospel of Mark, the first one comes out of chapter 11. That's Mark chapter 11 on your phone or on your iPhone or your iPad or tablet. Um, We're on the honor system, no angry birds, but uh, Mark chapter 11. Starting right at the beginning. This is the text for today, Palm Sunday. And when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied which no one, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the doorside in the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. Pause there. I always feel like there's another verse or a little more conversation that probably happened that's not recorded here. Like, just go ahead and take my car. That's fine. But we go on. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they drew their coats, their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy, leafy branches that they, they had cut from the field. And those who went before, and those who, shout, who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem... And went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And if you turn a few pages, swipe a few pages, to Mark 15. Give you our second text for today. This is the burial of Jesus. Marked by time this week on Friday. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. And when evening had come... Since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud... And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that that had been cut of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he had laid. The word of the Lord. Today what I want to do is connect these two stories. I want to tell you the story of the Holy Week of Jesus. Just tell the story. I don't have a lot of points today. I just want to get you in in the mode of Holy Week. What happened between Palm Sunday and this burial on Friday? Palm Sunday marked the beginning of the Passover week. And Passover in Israel is a big deal. Many, many people come from all around, even in those days, to Jerusalem. The streets would have been very, very crowded to celebrate the Passover Jesus also has been heading to Jerusalem. In the Gospels, he's been working his way there for quite a while. He has been saying things knowing that he's heading there, knowing that he's going to die there. 
but still he comes. And when he finally comes into town, he comes in surrounded by images of the Messiah from the Old Testament. There's a verse in the Old Testament about Jesus, about the Messiah coming, riding on a donkey. There's the symbol of the palm branches, which throughout the Old Testament and throughout Israel's history is like a flag. It's a symbol of their national pride. And the cries of the people, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, comes right out of the Psalms in what is actually a royal psalm. In other words, it was a psalm used for the coronation of a king. If you look in our bulletins at the call to worship, you can find those passages because they were written right from there. And so when Jesus comes marching into town, everybody is excited. Everybody thinks this is the Messiah. And isn't it interesting that it's Passover? Passover is the celebration of, G- of the Jews being brought out of slavery in Egypt. Remember the Old Testament story of Moses with the ten plagues and finally Pharaoh lets them go. That's the celebration of Passover. The celebration of the, of the Israelites being in God's favor and being removed from slavery. Here they are under the Roman thumb. In slavery, not quite, but at least oppressed. Maybe, just maybe one of these Passovers, God will fulfill the story of our ancestors and will also free us. And so when they are looking for a Messiah, they're looking at someone to save their nation. But Jesus finally gets into town after all this pomp and circumstance and all this excitement And the text says he looks around, and it's late, he's tired, so he leaves. Doesn't really do much exciting there. His actions that he was there to do weren't for that Sunday. It was for later in the week. And by the way, remember that Sabbath is on Saturday in these days. So Sunday would have been the beginning of the week. It was Monday for us. And so during the rest of that week, Monday through Wednesday, Jesus did a number of things in and around Jerusalem. He does a number of things that make the Jewish leaders very upset, especially the Gospel of Matthew tracks these things. Jesus cleanses the temple. He goes in, if you remember the story, all angry and with whips and and turns over the money changers' tables and kicks everybody out. Says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. That would have ticked them off. At one point, his authority is challenged. The, the, the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders say, you know, by what authority do you do this? Jesus asked them, well, you tell me this. By what authority did John do his baptisms? And they're trapped. If they say it was from God, then they have to admit that Jesus is from God. If they say it wasn't from God, then the people are going to be mad at him. Jesus tells all kinds of parables about watchfulness and implies that he will be killed. It implies in a lot of his stories and teaching that the religious leaders are a big part of the problem. That people should be careful of them. Jewish parties question him. Some of these you'll remember, right? Should we pay a tribute to Caesar? Do you believe in the resurrection? What is the greatest commandment? These were all things that the Jews used to fight over. He turns around and indicts them. In fact, at one point, the Gospel of Matthew records Jesus really attacking the Pharisees. We call them the seven woes. They start out like this. They say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And here are two examples. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's face. 
You neither enter for yourselves or allow others to enter in. You, here's another one. Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. For you to call the Pharisees dead and unclean would be pretty bad. You can understand why they started really getting mad at Jesus. Almost like he's egging them on. Almost like he knows he needs to go to the cross. And so these leaders set out to have Jesus killed. In fact, they recruit one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot, to betray them so that they can arrest him at a time when he's not surrounded by so many of his followers. Jesus also teaches, not just to everybody, not just attacking the Pharisees, but also starts to teach his disciples and his close followers, trying to prepare them for what he knows is about to happen. At one point, he goes to Mount Olivet, the Mount of Olives, to teach to a more intimate group. He gives them parables about the fig tree, the ten virgins, and even the parable of the talents, which we studied here in a sermon just a few weeks ago. All about being in preparation for Christ's return and prepared for what's going to happen. He talks a lot about the last judgment in this time period. So that is Monday through Wednesday, and we don't really have that much of a chronology of what days, what happened on what days, but we do know a lot of stuff that happened that week. Thursday, we call Maundy Thursday, it was the day of the Passover celebration. It was the big day of the week. The whole week kind of, kind of ascended to that special Passover meal. It was special because it was as a family you would normally get together to go over the story and to remember God's favor for your ancestors. And so Jesus, excited, he says, to celebrate his Passover with his disciples, gathers them in a room. They find this upper room, thanks to Jesus. And they sit down to have this meal together. Maybe the, maybe the celebration was a little more solemn. The disciples wondering if maybe Jesus was going to be part of freeing Israel from the Roman rule. Maybe wondering if it was going to be successful or if maybe the Romans would be after them. So far they have had a number of times to get out of different towns because the authorities are out to get them. So Jesus pulls this intimate group together in the, in the upper room and does this very intimate thing of washing people's feet. Washing feet was normally reserved for the servants. Normally the servants would wash your feet because in those days often you wore sandals. You can imagine in Israel, in sandals, your feet got pretty nasty. So for Jesus to do it though, in fact the disciples themselves have trouble with it. Peter says, no, I need to wash your feet, not you wash my feet. But Jesus kneels and serves. Maybe foretelling that he was going to be serving them in a mighty way. On Friday, he announces to them, one of you will betray me, which causes this uproar. No, not I. I would never do that. And it goes around the room until Judas tries to say, not I. But of course, he already has. Judas leaves, but the party continues. And as Jesus celebrates using the bread and and using the juice, using the wine, uh, what would be the celebration of Passover... 
He reads himself into the story and says, you know what, just like the lamb that had to be slain and put on the doorpost at Passover, I'm going to have to have my body broken. And my blood is going to be a new covenant for you and I want you to participate in that. The disciples probably thought he was a little crazy at this point. They didn't understand. But he continues. He foretells of Peter's denial. He's sad because he knows they're all going to leave him. They're all going to leave him. He knows that by midnight, none of these people, these people that have been so faithful to him, are going to stand by his side any longer. And he tells them that. And Peter is adamant, no, no, I will fight and be with you to the end. And Jesus says, no. By the morning, three times you're going to deny me. Shock of all shocks. Peter can't believe that. But he will be so shocked as the evening progresses, he will forget the prediction until that rooster crows. Jesus teaches his disciples a lot here. The Gospel of John gives us a lot of teaching here. Some of Jesus' best and most well-remembered teaching. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The promise of the Holy Spirit. I am the true vine and you are the branches. Jesus promises that the world will hate you. Of course, they're about to really experience that, aren't they? That your sorrow will be turned to joy. Jesus even prays that evening. He prays for his disciples and he amazingly prays for the disciples who are to come. Jesus prays for you and I that night as he's preparing for the cross. He decides he wants to get away from the party, so he takes a smaller group of disciples and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he likes to go and pray. Jesus prays about this cup, this wrath that's coming from God. Lord, I don't want to bail on this plan, Jesus said, but is there any way we can do this without me having to go through what I've got to go through tomorrow? But his conclusion is not an abandoning of the plan. Because he ends up saying, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus fully understands our sin because right then he's experiencing our weakness. The disciples can't stay awake, but Jesus can't sleep. Judas comes in the middle of the garden, probably knowing where they were. They were probably at a place Jesus had prayed many times. And he betrays the Lord with a kiss. Judas was not a good guy. The Gospels record him as stealing money. He was the treasurer of the disciples. And it was recorded in the Gospel of John. He used to steal money. I think the disciples sort of had accused him. Kind of knew that something was up. Peter tries to be the good guy and fights them off. Even cutting off a man's ear in the process. But Jesus says, no, that's not how my kingdom goes. And he puts that ear back on Jesus has arrested his disciples, disband, just as he had said a few hours earlier that they would. He's taken to the house of of Annas, who's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the head of the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers. So somewhere close to midnight, probably, he's in that house being accused. Later, he's taken in the middle of the night, early hours of the morning, taken before all the Sanhedrin. Probably there was a smaller group and now a larger group. They were allowed, by the way, to do their own trials, the religious leaders. The Romans typically let the people do their own rule of their own rules. And only came in in important cases or only came in when the death penalty was required. The the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, couldn't have anybody killed. Only the Romans could do that. 
Peter, somewhere along the line, is following Jesus but denies him three times as the early morning rooster crows. He remembers he is ashamed and he runs away. And Jesus' last disciple who had stuck with him is now gone. They ask Jesus if he's that Messiah. They ask him all kinds of questions and he eventually just says, I am. Which doesn't sound like a big deal to us, except that the word I am is, is really, in Hebrew, the name for the Lord, Yahweh, I am. And so for Jesus to answer with that is claiming that he is God. And so they beat him. And they ask him with his blindfold on to prophesy who was striking him. But they don't want to just harm Jesus. What they understand is that he's getting some traction. His movement is growing and they need to kill him. But they can't kill him. So they take him before Pilate. He's sort of the the, the ruler there in Jerusalem in that region. Pilate can't see anything wrong with him. Doesn't see any need to crucify him. And so he tries in the Gospel of Luke records that he bumps it up to King Herod. But Herod doesn't want the politics of trying to deal with this situation. So he tries, he bumps it right back down the chain to Pilate and says, no, you've got to deal with this. Pilate has Jesus beaten, hoping that that will satisfy the crowds. This is not working, though. And so he gives the crowd a choice. I don't normally free one of the, one of the people who are supposed to be crucified at Passover. Part of the celebration was to forgive one person. I'll give you either Barabbas, this thief, this murderer, or you can have Jesus. And those same crowds that celebrated Jesus on Palm Sunday called for his crucifixion on Friday. Jesus was beaten, given a crown of thorns. We, we don't have thorns around here like they have thorns over there. Thorns over there are much bigger. And what have pierced his flesh, not just in a little bit. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails, and that would have been a whip that had several lengths on it. It probably was not actually that long, but it normally would have pieces of glass and metal and bone in it. And so rather than it being a whip, it would have laid into the skin and caught and eventually start ripping flesh out. In fact, many, many people died just from that and never got to crucifixion. Jesus was forced to carry his cross beam. Probably, we we have this image of Jesus carrying the cross. But in all likelihood, he probably just had to carry the the cross beam. The beam that went across this way. We're not quite sure on that. But he had to carry it through the street. But he's lost so much blood. And he is so beaten already. That he can't finish the journey. And someone has to help carry it the rest of the way. Finally, he gets outside the city. To what would have been a very public crucifixion. Crucifixion was always public. It was always a statement of power that said, this is what happens when you mess with the authorities. And so a lot of times, uh, uh, crosses would line the roads going into town so you knew who was in charge there. We get the word excruciating actually from the word crucifixion because it's that painful. It's actually death by suffocation. You are put on the cross in such a way that over time, you're already beaten. Over time, it becomes very hard for you to take a breath. Okay, eventually, eventually, you have to be able to lift your chest to take a breath. And you just cannot do it anymore. Um, they, they would nail into the hands and into the feet. Probably not into the hands, maybe into the wrist. But even then, that probably would have pulled. That probably would have 
had to tie the person up there. In fact, they didn't even always probably nail the person. It was just for added pain. We also think because of the, the way artwork has described the crucifixion that Jesus' feet were somehow like one on top of the other. But I don't know where that comes from. We actually have um, archaeological evidence of someone who was buried after crucifixion. And the, the nail is in the side of the heel. So likely, likely his feet were on both sides of the cross and nailed in. Not on the top of the foot. We're not sure though. Most crosses actually were T-shaped so that the beam could be lifted and put on top, not in the shape that we typically think of a cross. But that shape has been our symbol for so long that maybe that is how Jesus' cross was. This never makes it in the artwork either, but you were always crucified naked. You never had your clothes on, but that doesn't make for very good paintings or statues. It was meant to be humiliating. It was meant to be very painful and it could last up to several days of pain. While Jesus was on the cross, several saw him. His disciples, some of them came by. John came by with his mother. Can you imagine being Jesus' mother Mary and seeing him on the cross? A garden commander confesses that he was the son of God. The thieves beside him speak to him. In fact, Jesus speaks seven times from the cross. We're not totally sure of the order. They come out of different Gospels, but here they are. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says, Verily I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He says that to the thief beside him. He, at one point, when Mary and John walk by, he says to Mary, Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. He's asking John, the disciple John, to take care of his mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting from Psalm 22 there. It's interesting to note, by the way, you ought to look this up later, but Psalm 22 is not a psalm where God has actually forsaken the writer, and likely David in that case. But he just feels like he's being forsaken. If you keep reading the psalm, you find it actually clarifies that towards the end. Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus said, it is finished. And right before he died, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. So if you follow the timeline, he saw Pilate and Herod on Friday morning. Uh, By closer to lunchtime, he's going through all this. If you understand the Jewish tradition, you understand that the Sabbath starts at sundown on Friday. And so... Most of the time, they would try to drag out crucifixion. But often, particularly with Jewish crucifixion, they would try to make sure the person died so that their body could be taken care of um, before the Sabbath. By the way, if the body was taken care of. Often the body was just discarded. In fact, Golgotha, where Jesus is, is very close to the city dump, where bodies could just be discarded. So the, the idea was, if somebody is not dying fast enough, and the Romans were very good at this, they could, they could break the person's legs. And once your legs were broken, then you couldn't raise yourself up to breathe anymore and you would die more quickly. But Jesus, being through so much, died before they, got to, they broke his legs, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy that said that the Messiah would never have a bone broken. His side was pierced and the text says that blood and water comes, came out. Um, 
What may have happened, I saw a History Channel special that talked about crucifixion, where, where a number of doctors kind of looked at the, the biblical texts. What they said was that they wonder if Jesus had a problem in his heart, maybe from when he fell with the cross. Okay? And so what would happen then is fluid would build up around the heart, and then if eventually his heart burst, there would be blood. So if he got pierced with a spear, just as the prophets had said, the Messiah would be pierced. Um, blood and water would come out of the wounds because that's what would be in the chest cavity at that time. A couple things happened too that we don't typically think about. There was darkness over all the land during that day. There were earthquakes where people actually rose from the dead in tombs nearby. And the veil of the curtain that held off the area of the Holy of Holies was torn in two. Jesus was taken down off the cross. He was wrapped up, laid in a tomb Of course, with sunset coming, they weren't able to take care of the body like they needed to. And so they were going to have to come back after the Sabbath, Sunday morning, to finish the job. Saturday was the Sabbath. People were home. They weren't allowed to work. A day of silence and sadness. Peter tells us that Jesus descended into hell to set those free who had to wait for the Messiah's promises to be fulfilled. Those who had believed in the covenant as it was given to them. But Peter makes only a quick mention of this, so we don't know much about it. And of course, Sunday morning we find out that he's not dead. But he has risen from the dead. But that is next week's sermon. For this week... Is this gruesome? Yeah, this is gruesome. More than a little. It's harsh. If you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, it captures a lot of this. But I think sometimes we need to hear it. And and the way our church does the services, we would talk about this on Good Friday, but we don't have a Good Friday service. And so I wanted to take this time to say it. Now, why is it important? Why is it important that we get into the details of this text? It's not very popular to talk about gore and blood. Although it is pretty popular for it to be in novels and books and movies and things now. But anyway, it's important that we understand this because we need to understand why Jesus does this. First of all, it's clear throughout this text again and again and again that Jesus is choosing to do this. He knows that it's coming. He's stressed about it even at the end. But he still walks the road to the cross. And he does that for us. He does that because our sin deserves a response. Not that you and I have done so many terrible things. But we have rejected God. And we think of how many days you and I go through our day and pay no attention to the God who gave us life. We live life for ourselves. That kind of rejection... God deserves a response, but here's the exciting part. God does the response himself. Not calling us to do it, but he comes in to make things right. And so we need to hear the story. We need to remember the story and we need to respond to the story. And if we get into it, and I would encourage you to open your Bible this week and every day read a little bit from this story in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because if we can really get into the harshness of this holy week. Do you understand how much of a celebration Easter really is? It's not just that we're going to dress up pretty and have flowers next week. And an Easter egg hunt. 
The excitement is that the story doesn't end at the cross, but the story ends with life. And not just Christ's life, but our lives as well. So that if we really think about it, when we sing next week, He lives and Christ the Lord has risen today, we can do it if we followed the story with the joy and the excitement that that news truly deserves. The victory that Jesus has and that is therefore ours. Let us pray. Lord, we embark on Holy Week and we thank you for the journey. Speak to us, move in us, and teach us this week, we pray. Amen.